I'll turn, if you will, to 2 Timothy, the last chapter, chapter 4. Let's pray. Gracious Holy Spirit, inspire of this word, you who moved the Apostle Paul to write these last words to us. Allow them, Lord, uh, to find a home in our hearts and minds. Grant that we would be captivated uh, by Jesus Christ as uh, we read and hear this uh, word explained and expounded. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It's our custom to stand in recognition uh, that this is the Word of God, if you would. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 6. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but to also to all who have loved his appearing. Do your best to come to me soon, for Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Demaltia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And so I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may take your seats. There is something about athletic competition that captures the imagination and spurs uh, me on to greater effort. Now, I'm not an athlete. I've never played competitive sports, and I rarely watch a game. Yet, I, along with 3.6 billion other people, expect to be watching the Olympics uh, next year. And it's because of this the the pull of the games, the way they impact us, that Paul often uses them as an image or a picture of the Christian life as he speaks of the race and the effort required. Now, in the modern games, every Olympic athlete uh, has a common goal. Having made it to the place where they can represent their nation, they want to finish well. But finishing well means different things to different athletes. Those that are at the very top of their sport, for them, finishing well means a gold medal. Others, 
want to be on the podium. They, they know they're in the top contenders, but they can't be certain they're going to be satisfied with a silver or a bronze. And there are others who are simply striving for a personal best. They want to finish with the best performance of their lives. In the Olympics, as in life, very few people are the very best in any human endeavor. Very few people receive a Nobel Prize, a Silver Star, a Congressional Medal of Honor. Very few are valedictorians or attained to a Pulitzer. But the possibility of finishing well is open to everyone who loves Jesus Christ. Every Christian can receive the victor's uh, crown. And the apostles, he draws in the image of the uh, Olympic Games of his day, writes to Timothy. He's on death row. And these are the last words that we have. And he makes a remarkable claim. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. To finish the race, certain things have to be true. Of course, you have to know where the finish line is, and you have to actually know what the race course is as well. Where are you headed in life? What is your personal finish line? What's the destination you're moving toward? Well, no doubt, uh, in a group this large, uh, we're in many different places. Some of you are living life as if it's a road trip. The top is down, uh, the wind is blowing in your uh, hair, and as long as you have friends and perhaps an attractive member of the opposite sex uh, with you, it's the ride that matters. (laughs) It's not the destination. You're having fun, and as long as it's fun, it's great. Others of you are loaded up with responsibilities. You're just trying uh, to get through each day, and you are rarely thinking about where uh, you're going. For you, the finish line is getting to bed without a disaster taking place. And still others of you are hoping to get a new car. Uh, You're telling yourself, well, uh, you'll set a direction when that happens. Your life's in transition. You're waiting for the next big thing to happen. Maybe it's finishing high school. Maybe it's going to college, enlisting uh, in the military or finding a mate, or landing a good job, or even a better uh, job. And some of you who are here know where you're going, and you're making steady progress toward that destination. One thing, though, is very clear. If you have no destination, it will be easy to get there. Just what does it mean for a Christian to finish well? How, How can you finish well if you know you've made mistakes? Is it possible to finish well if you have uh, regrets? Or is it just that you get one opportunity, and if you mess it up, it's just not possible for you to end the race at the finish line? Well, if we were to ask these questions of our text, we'd see that Paul has a lot uh, to say to us. And here's how I want to frame up what he says to us. Uh, We need to know our destination. We need to know where the finish line is. We need to know our assignment. We need to know what the course is that's been laid out for us. We need a reward worthy of the effort. And we need the Lord's strength. 
A destination, an assignment, a reward, and strength. Now, Paul knows where he's going. Uh, He knows what's worth uh, doing in life, and he has a destination in mind. Uh, It should be clear, and it's clear if you just look at a few of the verses we read today, that uh, Paul is serving God. He writes, I am being poured out as a drink offering. This is the language of sacrifice. And what Paul has in mind is wine being offered to God that's being poured out on the altar on some other uh, sacrifice. Paul sees his life as an offering to God. It's a costly offering. It's an offering that means sacrifice and suffering. And then he adds, and the time of my departure has come. Now, that word departure was used in uh, many different contexts. It might be used of the unyoking of animals from a plow or a cart, or the pulling up of stakes from a tent, or the loosening of the mooring ropes uh, on a boat as it's about to uh, set sail. These are all metaphors for death. Paul is looking forward Uh, to dying. He's looking forward to reaching a place of rest where he can let go of the demands, the life's hard work of the sacrificial suffering that he's done in God's kingdom. And sitting on death's row, he knows exactly where he's headed. He's going to spend an eternity with Christ. To be with Christ, uh, bodily to be with Christ is the finish line for Paul. Now, Paul's writing to Timothy, but he's also writing uh, to us. And he says to Timothy, you know, you are staying on, but I am dying. Timothy, do your ministry because mine is finished. And Paul has served uh, God, and he calls Timothy to do exactly the same thing. And this is a great use of life, but there's something else Paul is equally engaged in, and that is loving uh, people. There are 15 people named here besides Timothy in this last chapter. And it just tells you that Paul sets a very high value on people. He's invested his life in people, in in many uh, people. But sadly, many people don't come to realize till very late in life just how important relationships are. Perhaps you've uh, seen uh, the Harvard Longevity Study. It's a study that's been going on almost a century now, and it wanted to look and has continued to look at what it is that leads for a happy and healthy long life. And the most surprising finding of the study was it's not that it's unimportant to take care of yourself physically, but it is how significant having deep relationships is to being healthy and uh, happy. Relationships are far more important than the fame, the accomplishment, and the wealth that so many Harvard graduates attain. You can have all of those uh, things and be miserable, and live a very short life. The study of the blue zones says the same 
uh, thing if you are uh, into that sort of thing. It's in every place where people uh, live into their 90s and 100s, where large numbers, it's because one of the key factors is, is they all have deep and meaningful relationships. Paul's relationships were both impactful on others and impacting in his own life. He has only one close friend with him, Luke, and he very much wants the company of Timothy and Mark. Paul would say to us that finishing well involves both serving God and loving other people. And if your life's destination is only pleasures and experiences, only accumulating stuff, uh, your uh, personal happiness or finding some personal achievement, then something terrible is missing. None of those goals is weighty enough to be worth your life. They're just not worth exchanging uh, for the life and measure of health, the years that are ahead of you. You see, to retire with only the purpose of enjoying a permanent vacation is empty. You can only eat so many lobster dinners and play so many rounds of golf and find it satisfying. There's something within us that says there must be more to life. And Paul would say that more is carrying out your God-given assignment. The race that's marked out for you that God calls every Christian to run. If you're going to finish well, you need to uh, run the course that's set out for you. You need to understand what your life assignment is. And Paul is saying he has done just that as he looks back over the last 30 years of his life and says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That word uh, fight in the original is the word agon. It's the word we get agony uh, from, and it speaks to the intensity of effort, the sacrifices that have made. And this, Paul, is like any Olympian athlete. Modern athletes uh, train four hours a day, 310 days a week for six years before uh, they compete, often for a 60-second event. That's 7,000 hours of training, of sacrifice, of discipline. Kept the faith could mean that uh, he has a persevere. He's hung on uh, to Jesus uh, Christ. Or it could mean that he has passed on the apostolic faith, the pattern of sound teaching. And it probably here means both. Uh, Paul was given his life assignment by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road uh, to Damascus. He describes it this way uh, at one point in his life, but I do not account my life worthy of any value, nor is precious to myself, if only that I may finish the course and the ministry I have received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Being clear about his life's assignment helped Paul to know how to use his time and his energy. It enabled him to know what should be prioritized and what things he should let go. Paul had the kind of focus 
that we see in an Olympian. Do you have your life assignment? Now, stay with me here. I am not at all suggesting uh, that if you don't have a church-related vocation, that you don't have a life assignment at God. I am not at all saying that. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul uh, writes this, We urge you to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. To aspire to live quietly and to work with your own hands. That's not a church-related vocation. Every follower of Christ has received two assignments. One of them is their specific and unique. And in it, it is a sacrificial call uh, from God that occurs at the intersection of your relationships and the opportunities that you have in life, the work that you engage in, the school and training that you receive. For example, uh, some people are called uh, to singleness, to a life of celibacy, without the concern, the ever-present concern of will this please uh, my spouse. This is, in fact, the final state of all humanity. All of you who are married in Christ, this is where you're headed. You're headed to celibacy as well. Um, Singleness uh, will mean greater freedom to serve God and other people than the limitations that marriage places on a life. And so those of you who are called to singleness now, you have the gift of being able to serve others without constantly having to check on what your spouse wants or needs from you. If you're married and you see marriage as a means of personal fulfillment, of receiving a certain self pleasures and benefits, then you have a view of marriage that's less than what a Christian should have. A Christian should understand that marriage is an exclusive commitment of selfless love that pictures for the world uh, the selfless love and commitment of Christ uh, for his church. And if you approach your marriage like that, it will become a source of of life for you. But if you seek it as a place where you're seeking self-fulfillment, you'll find it frustrating. Romance and pleasure will wax and wane in a marriage. The rewards of marriage only really grow in the soil of commitment and self-sacrifice. But not everyone's called to the uh, same uh, kinds of relationships uh, with the same kinds and particular uh, people or the same kind of work. Not everyone has the same opportunities or should pursue the same education or training. All of you are children of someone. Many of you are siblings. You have brothers and sisters. Um, uh, All of you are probably friends. I hope all of you have friends. You are a friend to someone. You are certainly neighbors and will be citizens when you become of age. 
you will uh, be an employee or an employer. Uh, hopefully, you continue to be members of a church. And all these relationships, this web of relationships, is unique to every one of you. No two of you shares exactly the same web of relationships and the responsibilities that come with that. So every Christian has a unique calling. And every Christ follower shares the calling to become like Jesus, to mature in Christ's likeness, and to make disciples of others. This is the general call. The other call is a specific uh, call. And these two assignments blend together in all sorts of unique and complicated ways. If you've had an encounter with Jesus Christ, he will show you what your life purpose is. He will show you what your assignment is. But probably not all at once. But if you seek him, a number of things are likely uh, to factor into your discerning that. Your gifts and abilities, your passions, your opportunities, and your life experiences. And for many people, I would say for most people, understanding your assignment is something that unfolds over the course of years. Um, And it won't happen all at once, and other people will play a role. Uh, They will offer encouragement, they will affirm you, they will give you wise uh, counsel. And this assignment will change uh, uh, through the decades of uh, life. Every couple that has children, when the nest empties, they realize they are in a major life uh, transition. They're going to have adjustments uh, to undertake. Um, And this is true in many, many places uh, in life. And so you shouldn't think of this as being something completely static. It is not. But what if you've messed up? You you know, you've really royally messed up uh, something. Uh, Is it possible to finish well? Well, there's a a volume entitled Finding God at Harvard, The Spiritual Journeys of uh, Thinking Christians. And in it, there is a chapter about the figure skater and Harvard graduate Paul uh, Wiley. And he writes about his experience during the 1988 Calgary Winter Games. He set up, I set up for the first jump in my program, and as soon as I'm in the air, I know something is terribly wrong. A flash later, my hand touches uh, the ice, my blades will not hold, I start slipping, and I realize I'm falling. As I collapse on the ice, I can just hear the groan of the spectators. I struggle to get up, uh, hustling. Uh, to get to the next move, and thoughts race through my mind as I try to cover my disappointments. There's no way of erasing from the judges' minds what just happened. Uh, I can't interfere with the broadcast that my friends and family have just seen. This is live, and I've just blown it. I have four minutes and one important choice to make. Either skate through the rest of the program and hope that something constructive uh, will take place, concentrating on performing through the end, or to continue to dwell on the, on the fall and undoubtedly invite additional mistakes caused by that negative frame of mind. A scripture flashes through my mind. 
that helps me with my decision. The righteous shall fall, but they shall not utterly be cast down. And suddenly, I grasp God's perspective. He will use our successes and our failures to teach us about ourselves and to show the world his glory. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. I move on, accepting a new rule. I admit a new role. I admit my imperfection and decide to skate heartily unto the Lord for God's glory rather than my own results. Paul would finish 10th, and four years later, he would return to the Winter Games and win silver. An important part of finishing well involves embracing your mistakes and your failures and learning from them. You have to embrace them in order to move past them. One of the tragic things that happens is people are so intent on making it through life without any failures and mistakes that when one happens, and one will happen, more than one is coming your way, they just become frozen in this negative uh, mindset. To keep going, it's necessary to set your eyes on the reward. We need a reward worthy of the effort. In verse 8, Paul uh, describes it. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who loved his appearing. You see, Paul had an eternal perspective about his life. There was a crown awaiting him, and the righteous judge would award it to him. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, if the crown is understood as a reward for Paul's perseverance, then it would be in line with things he's written in other letters. In one place, he writes, if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. In the letter to the Colossians, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. And perseverance is only possible for Paul and any Christian because of the grace that God gives. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This crown and inheritance includes enjoying all the righteousness that Christ has obtained for us, that we've yet to fully experience. It's to receive within us a change in us so that we no longer are drawn to what's wrong, to what's evil, to what displeases God. And along with this gift, we will know a glory that it's not possible to attain in this world and we will receive life in all its fullness as we drink from the one whom himself is the fountain of life. It's worth any and every hardship to gain this. And as we saw last week in particular, it was not easy for Paul. Paul suffered much. He was told at the very beginning of his encounter with Christ that he would suffer greatly. And here at the very end, instead of enjoying a quiet place uh, on the Aegean Sea, he's in prison, 
He's on death row. He's lonely. He's cold. He's bored. He's, seen the, he's had the pain of seeing a close friend abandon Christ. He's had the opposition of a man named Alexander who sought uh, to harm him. And Paul says that at his first trial, friends deserted him. And his disappointment ran deep, but he forgave them. Paul knew that the Lord Jesus Christ would never let him go, that he stood by him and gave him strength. Paul finished well because he received strength from outside of himself. Jesus protected him from all true harm, harm that would be lasting. And if you and I are going to finish well, we too need strength from outside of ourselves. And we need to be convinced and persuaded that in fact God is protecting us even when people disappoint us, when they let us down, when they oppose us, even when they seek to harm us. To finish well, you'll have to have help. On a cold winter day at Innsbruck, 1964, during the bobsled competition, the British team that was driven by Tony Nash had just completed its first run, and that put them in second place. Then they made the most disheartening discovery that a bolt in the rear axle of uh, their sled was broken, and it would put them out of competition. At the bottom of the hill, the great Italian bobsled driver, Eugenio Monti, who was in first place, heard of their plight and immediately pulled the bolt out of his sled and sent it up uh, the hill. The British team affixed it to their sled, and they completed their downhill uh, run, winning the gold medal. The Italian team took bronze. Jesus has given more than a bolt. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. In his living and dying in our place, Jesus has given us everything necessary for us to finish the course, to run our race, to reach the finish line. And so we must lay aside everything that's holding us back, everything that's not essential, most especially the sin that we've held on to, that we have not fully renounced. And we are to run with endurance. Jesus has gone before us. He is the author. He's the one that's made faith possible for us. And he is the perfecter. He's the one that's strengthening and refining our faith. Are you in the race? Do you see the finish line? 
Do you know that Christ has actually given you everything you need to finish this race? Are your eyes set on the reward as his were, as he went to the cross? Are you living close to him that you might receive strength from him each day? Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, we thank you for running your race so that we ourselves might run the race you have for us. Thank you that you, in dying for us, rose again and are now seated at the right hand of the Father. And you've been crowned with all glory and you invite us to come and join you to share in your victory, to receive as well a crown of glory. Oh, Lord, be pleased uh, to speak to us in these moments. Move each of us in that place where we need to be moved. That we would be the people you would have us be. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.